It is great to be part of a, a church fellowship. Uh, when I uh, when we got home, we uh, just happened to see another pastor, and, and we just uh, who's a local pastor here, and we just said, "Yeah, we just got back from our pastors and wives retreat," and he looked at me like, "Why didn't you tell me there was a pastors and wives retreat?" <laughs> I'm going to do my best to make sure he knows next year, but, uh, but it, it is great. We, we heard some stories about uh, how people met and got married and almost didn't get married and, and uh, just, you know, uh, bore one another's burdens and uh, rejoiced in one another's blessings, and, and that's a great thing, and Don's been part of that for all these years. Anyway, it's great. Uh, uh, Shepherd's Ministries has been a part of our church life probably since the beginning or nearly the beginning because Ralph and Margie uh, had a daughter who was severely uh, disabled in multiple ways and, and was almost a lifelong resident of the shepherd's home, went to be with the Lord here a few years ago. And so uh, really our, our church has benefited in a very personal way more than most churches have uh, and Ralph and Margie have as well. And uh, so we're glad to have Don here to share about that ministry today. It is remarkable the way your church has had that uh, personal connection with shepherds through uh, all those years. And, uh, and as I mentioned in the Sunday School Hour, we uh, certainly appreciate your faithful, regular support for the ministry, and it uh, really makes a difference. You know, it's fun to be here today. Um, yeah, I like your church, Dave. Yeah. I mean, Pastor Dave. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, you know good crowd and and uh you know this building works well and i for some reason i remember being here years and years ago and i thought man that building is is just horrible and old and 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 you know and it's still just as old isn't it but you guys have <laughs> i guess it's older but uh you, know, you guys have done a great job of this place and uh, anyway yeah I, I just i think it's a great great spirit of worship um and i was i was driving up here i was thinking i just love being in this territory i grew up in everett and so, you know, not that far away. And uh, my parents had a home, I guess when I was in college, they built another home, and, and they had a view of Mount Baker. So, of course, that's your next-door neighbor. And so uh, driving up here yesterday, I just loved looking at, at Baker. And, and, uh, and then I was remembering that, you know, I scored my first high school touchdown at Nooksack. <laughs> so that's long, long ago. Um, and then the other thing, I got my first deer up in this territory, too, with a car. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, interesting memories. Um, so what we're going to do uh, for, uh, for a while here is uh, I want to talk to you about Shepherd's Ministries, because that's yeah, what I represent. And those of you that were in Sunday school, there'll be a little bit of overlap, but hopefully you'll be able to stay awake anyway. Um, and, and then we're going to do the Bible study. And uh, if you've already looked at the notes in your bulletin, uh, you'll notice that it's a long outline, and there's lots of chapters of Scripture, and, and all that's in, in, uh, in honor of your pastor who did that to us at the, at the retreat. <laughs> he covered a lot of stuff for a long time, so, <laughs> so I'm getting back at him. <laughs> so anyway... Uh, let me talk about shepherds first, though. And uh, the, what I'd like to do is, is basically I want to tell you, uh, talk about five things. 
And uh, so I'm going to tell you one thing, and then I'm going to tell you two things, and then I'm going to tell you three things, and then I'm going to tell you four things, so you see how this goes, and then I'm going to tell you five things, okay? So that's a bunch of things. But anyway, this is all important uh, information about Shepherd's Ministries. So let me begin with this one thing, and that is that we have one mission. So there's one mission for Shepherd's Ministries, and, and this may be kind of a, a, a joining of our vision and mission statement, but the way I like to put it is this, that Shepherd's Ministries exist to glorify Jesus Christ by reaching people with intellectual disabilities and their families with the gospel of Jesus Christ and to support them to reach their full appropriate independence. So there's several things I want to break out of that. First of all, our target group of ministry is people with intellectual disabilities, developmental delays, people that that maybe can't think quite as quickly as you can. And and that's, that's a... Uh, a population that is 3% of our population. And in fact, is that's a worldwide statistics. That's a lot of people. And then remember that every one of those individuals with intellectual disability is a part of a family. And so it affects their whole family. And really, that's our mission field. Those individuals that, with intellectual disabilities and their families, we want to reach them for Christ. And then along with that, we don't want to just leave them in maintenance mode. So those that are involved in our ministries as residents or students or whatever, we want to help them grow toward greater independence. A lot of programs just say, they're there, that's where you are, and we'll take care of you. But no, at Shepherds, we want to say, well, that's where you are now, but this is where you could be tomorrow. And then, you know, next week, you can maybe do this. And so it's a growth process that, that, that we're committed to. And uh, in the midst of it, though, always a spiritual focus and an evangelism focus and a discipleship focus. Well, that's the first thing. The second thing is I want you to understand that we have two population groups. And I find as I travel around that people are a little bit confused about this. Uh, They often remember from the past about Shepherd's Home and School, and they talk about Shepherd's Home. And and that's all good. That's our history. And from our history, we still have a foundational component of a residential care program. So we're home, full-time home for about 100 people, 100 full-time residents. So that's one population group, our residents. But our second population group is new, and that's our college. So Shepherd's College is about eight years old now, and so this is a separate group. And we have about 65 students on our campus uh, that are involved in a three-year residential college program. And I'm going to show you something about that uh, at the end of our time together this morning. So residents and students, two groups. Now, uh, uh, having just mentioned on our campus, let me just, just take a parenthesis here and say that we're located in Union Grove, Wisconsin. And that does seem like a long ways away from us here in Ferndale, Washington, doesn't it? But you know what? We successfully serve people across the nation. I'm often asked, well, why don't you have a branch in Washington or California or wherever? And there's a good reason. We've actually tried to do that. We've tried to go to some other states, but we've always run into restrictive policies in those states that would, in, would uh, prohibit us or, or make it difficult for us to do some of our gospel ministry and our Christian staffing and so on. And yet in the state of Wisconsin, and here I think is the miracle by which the Lord says, yeah, I got you where I want you. Uh, uh, because in, in Wisconsin, legislation has been passed that says Union, uh, Shepherd's Ministries of Union Grove, Wisconsin is exempt from a whole list of categories of stuff. So they can't mess with us. Isn't that good? Yeah. 
So the Lord works in wonderful and miraculous ways to give us a safe haven in Wisconsin where we can do our evangelistic gospel discipleship ministry for, for this people group. Well, so I told you one thing and I told you two things. Now let me tell you three things about the college. Oh, I was going to change the slide, I think, now. Yeah, there's the college. That was uh, one of our graduations, I think our third graduation. So uh, about the college, I want to just emphasize the fact that, that our program is accredited. So, so it's kind of like, uh, what do you have, Western Washington State University, is that what we call it? Okay. And, and, and it's an accredited institution. Okay. Well, Shepherds is accredited also, not as a degree-granting program, but as a vocational program uh, providing a certificate. And it was accredited, first of all, by the North Central Accrediting Association, the functional equivalent of the people that accredit your organization or your school. Uh, and now we're actually coming under the accrediting authority of, the, uh, of another one that specializes, a national organization that specializes in vocational programs. But we're accredited, which provides the fact that, that our students and their parents have access to the federal student aid program. How many of you remember the wonderful FAFSA program, FAFSA uh, forums? Yeah. So our, our families get to participate in that, and so they are eligible for Pell Grants and guaranteed student loans. So uh, accredited. Second about the college is it's Christian. So that makes sense, doesn't it, if, if we're all about the same mission I told you about? So we're a Christian college. It's like a Bible college. All of our students have two Bible classes every semester. And, uh, and I told the, the folks earlier in Sunday school that we've now seen 19 of our students come to faith in Christ. It was a tough decision. Do we only accept Christians? You know, I get that. And, and in fact, is Corbin University, uh, I believe in that, that, that idea for, for Corbin. But at, at Shepherds, well, we're an evangelistic organization, so we accept non-believing students uh, selectively. And uh, through the years, 19 of them have come to faith in Christ. And uh, that's, uh, that's pretty exciting. The third thing I want to emphasize is that Shepherd's College is successful. And uh, the, here's a, an interesting thing. There are 273 collegiate-level programs for intellectually disabled people in the nation. Uh, some of them are in community college settings. Some of them in state university settings. A few other private situations. But of those 273, Shepherd's is the only accredited one. Ranking these programs in terms of graduation rate and, uh, and uh, employment rate of graduates, we rank almost even with one other school, just a little bit above that other school, which happens to be at Cornell University. That's a pretty good company, isn't it? And we're accredited and they're not. So I, I think we're pretty successful. Our graduation rate is, is uh, uh, 80%. And our employment rate for graduates is 75%, which I think is pretty remarkable. Uh, I would say a lot of state universities probably couldn't uh, boast that. Well, that's uh, three things. Four things I want to emphasize now uh, about our uh, guiding philosophy. And this is where the folks in Sunday school get to just review with me now, okay? So our guiding philosophy we call appropriate independence, and it has four subpoints to it. First of all, we believe it's a biblical truth that all human beings are designed on and for a purpose. I hope you believe that. I'm sure you do. All human beings, including those who have disabilities, and I know there may be details and experiences that some of us have that will make it hard to accept this, but I think this is biblical truth, that all human beings are designed on and for a purpose. 
then it's our challenge to discover and accomplish that purpose. And in our context, my point is, is that that's true not only for us who feel like we're normal, <laughs> whatever that means, but also for that population who are intellectually disabled. Secondly, we believe that every human being is created as a unique individual, but for community. And again, I think that's especially important for the body of Christ to enfold these people who may be uh, excluded in society or ignored in society, marginalized in society, shoved down in society. No, that should never be true in the church. But we should welcome them, encourage them, make them a part of the body and have the joy of seeing them come to Christ. Uh, the third thing that I would emphasize in appropriate independence is that we believe in training for life. We train our residents and our students, our clients, to grow toward greater and greater independence in terms of life function, personal living skills. And then last, we empower to serve. We don't just serve them, but they learn to serve with us, and we serve each other. And so there's a mutuality, a reciprocity that's going on in the relationship there. And again, I think that's very important in the church, that as uh, disabled people are among us, that we uh, figure out ways for them to serve among us give them that privilege, which is really a biblical thing. Uh, We're told that the Lord came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life. Now, we can't do a ransom for many part, but we can certainly serve others and give our lives for others. And really, that's the heart of discipleship and ministry, isn't it? Well, the next thought I want to talk about is five things that are non-negotiables at Shepherd's Ministries. So if we can kind of start at the top right there, the local church. And you may remember that Shepherd's Ministries was birthed in a local church, in a Sunday school class in a church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And in that Sunday school class, an adult Sunday school class, there wasn't room in the church, so they were meeting down the street in somebody's house. But there was a family in that Sunday school class that had a son that had Down syndrome. And and part of the, the vision of the class was, let's have a ministry. What kind of ministry shall we, shall we have? And they figured out, well, let's have a ministry that starts kind of right here with uh, helping the Caton family take care of Larry. And, uh, and so then that grew. What more can we do? Well, we can help some other families in the area. What more can we do? Well, we can help <laughs> a broad range of families throughout the nation. And so a separate organization was established, which we now know as Shepherd's Ministries. Birth in a local church and still maintains a relationship with thousands of churches across the nation Uh, many of whom, like you, support us on a regular basis, and for which we're certainly thankful. The second thing we'll emphasize is we're a Christ-centered ministry. We teach and practice the concept that Christ is the only Savior for mankind, including disabled people, and he's the rightful master for all of us. Uh, Same thing you teach here. We're an evangelistic ministry. Uh, I told a story in the Sunday School Hour about Brad and his family. Let me just tell you about uh, Paul. Paul is one of our older residents now, and um, uh, Paul's probably in his 50s, I would guess. He's been with us probably 10 years. But interesting story of how Paul came to us. Paul was being raised by a single mom. Uh, he has, he's a Down syndrome uh, person, um, quite limited. Um, and, and anyway, the, the story kind of picks up when mom was diagnosed with cancer. And uh, she was pretty worried then about what's going to happen to me and what's going to happen to Paul. You know, what's, you know, what's Paul's future? A Christian neighbor heard about the concern and said, you know, uh, do you know about Shepherd's Ministries? 
what's that? No. Well, let me take you up there. So they drove up and did a visit, and Mom was pretty impressed with shepherds, and, and they talked about it, and, and she thought, well, you know, I want to try it out. And so they took Paul for a respite visit, a trial visit, and uh, kind of figured out that shepherds would be happy to have Paul, and, and Paul was getting along fine, it seemed, and Mom thought, you know, maybe this is the answer because I don't know how things are going to go, even during my treatment. And so uh, she took Paul up there, you know, sometime later she took Paul up there and uh, checked him in. And while she was signing all the papers and doing all that stuff in the office, the office worker expressed concern for mom and her cancer and her future and and asked her if she knew Christ as Savior. What? See, mom didn't know about that. And so that office worker, isn't it cool? You know, anybody can do this. You don't have to be a preacher, do you? You know this, don't you? Any of us in wherever, whatever setting the Lord gives us to, to serve him in the workplace or at school or whatever, we can give the gospel. And so that office worker gave the gospel to that mother, and she got saved. And uh, as she went home, leaving Paul there, she was uh, expressing the fact that she was so thankful that now Paul has a home no matter what happens to me, and now I have a home in heaven no matter what happens to me. Isn't that wonderful? And I could tell you you know, many other stories, but you can just ask the Polsons. They can tell you more stories later, okay? But evangelism, it's certainly a part of what we're doing, and as I mentioned, certainly true among our college students as well. We believe in an all-born-again staff. We're committed to that. That's a non-negotiable, okay? And we're committed to having an all-born-again staff, and that means we evaluate our applicants not just in terms of their their uh, their child abuse record that they don't have one, uh, you know, and, and all that legal stuff. But we also evaluate their Christian testimony and their discipleship history and their pastor's reference and those kinds of things. Uh, and and part of why we don't accept any direct federal or state funding is because we don't want any government in- entity messing with our us and our program and our hiring and so on. Of course, the implication of that is of that is that we depend on you folks churches and families uh, as our support base. And then we're committed to the Word of God, uh, committed to practicing it, teaching it, living it, and uh, that is not just for our staff and our board and, and so on, but that's among our residents as well. Uh, we teach them to, uh, to know and to practice the Word of God. Well, that's just a little bit of background on Shepherd's Ministries, and in just a moment I want to get started on my message, but I do want you to know that over on the table here, beside that banner there is some literature and uh, there's you know brochures about giving options uh, there's a, a, a prayer card you have prayer cards on your on your refrigerator or wherever you stick them well you can add this one uh, prayer card it's got two sides to it prayer requests on both sides uh, bookmarks uh, you know used to be good for bookmarks I still are uh, there a good prayer card reminder as well uh, then the calendar that we produce every year is a, is a wonderful uh, tool to remind you about the ministry, usually pictures, residents, and students, as well as scripture verses, as, and of course the regular calendar stuff. And if you are interested in receiving one of our calendars, or if you have an address change for us or something like that, that's the purpose of the sheet on this clipboard, which I'd like to pass around. So if you would like to receive one of those, clip, uh, one of those uh, calendars, they'll be going out soon this year. The fact is, I think I usually get in trouble pretty soon if I keep offering it. But anyway, I think it's still good today. Uh, so if you're interested in that, uh, you can uh, let us know your uh, contact information there. And then somebody at the back here, if you could make sure that one of these clipboards gets on this side, 
as well so that it can get up to your pastor because I don't want him to miss out. So um, that would be great. All right, time to preach. I mean, time to study the Word of God together. So if you take your Bibles and turn to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16, that's where we're going to start. And you may notice that the title for my message today is uh, David's Finest Hour. So just for a moment, I'm wondering if you have any uh, suggestions, any nominations for the idea of what was David's finest hour? Any, any, any suggestions? I think there are a number of possibilities, uh, I, and obviously I'm going to choose one for today, but uh, you know, among David's fine hours, what would you nominate as one of, it, one of those good ones? Excuse me? Somebody over here? So, okay, it was there, okay. That's a great one, slaying Goliath, yeah. Great, great account of courage and faith, I think. Yeah. Somebody else? You know, rarely does anybody give me that response, but I think that's one of the most important things. The repentant spirit, the repentant heart, acknowledging his sin when confronted. Yes. Great, great moment in David's life. Yeah. You have a text for that? No. <laughs> um, unbridled worship, he said. He was a great man of worship. He was the, the songwriter, the worship leader of Israel. He really knew music and, and, and literature, didn't he? he? He wrote this, you know, brother that read the psalm for Yeah, uh, Yeah, the work of David. Yeah, uh, worship stuff, yeah. What, what else? Forgiving Saul. When Saul was trying to kill him, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the other side of that is not turning around and killing him when he had the chance. Wow, that was big. And then, uh, yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. Pretty rare company, isn't it? Yeah, man after God's own heart. Well, those are all great suggestions, and there's one other that I want to nominate this morning. And that is when uh, David showed the kindness of God to a disabled man. Do you remember that story? Yeah. Do you remember that guy's name? Hard to pronounce, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, we're going to get there, but we're not going to start there. As I, again, as in, in, uh, in recognition of your, your pastor, uh, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna take the long way there. I should probably quit that. <laughs> All right. So David's story includes, I want to just some, hit some highlights. Um, and uh, the first of them is here in chapter 16. And I think that, that heart is the key there. If you look in, uh, so this is when David was uh, anointed to be the future king. Saul had discredited himself. God had said, you're done. Uh, you know, I'm setting you aside. And I'm going to look for a new guy. And uh, he looked in the, the family of Jesse, and it wasn't the tall, good-looking, older brothers, but it was, uh, it was little David. Verse 7, the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. This is one of the older brothers. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Yeah, that's key. And David was chosen. We move on to chapter 16. And we have the story there that we've already been, had referenced uh, of the uh, slaying of, of uh, Goliath. If you notice what it says in verse 37 of uh, 
Did I say 16? I think I meant 17. I mean, I know I meant 17, and I think I said the wrong thing. Anyways, chapter 17, verse 37. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Isn't that faith? Yeah. Look at verse uh, 47, the middle of the verse. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand, you big man. Yeah. The faith of a, of a young man. Chapter 18, we have uh, the story of the friendship of David and Jonathan introduced to us. And then we also in that chapter have the theme of the hatred of Saul, the jealousy of Saul toward David. That continues on in chapter 19. And we come to chapter 20 in that background where Saul has been known to throw spears at uh, David. uh, And David's saying, you know, I don't think it's safe for me to come in for dinner anymore like I used to. And Jonathan's saying, no, that's no problem. Uh, And, uh, well, let's check this out. And they worked out a plan how Jonathan would communicate whether it's safe to come in for dinner or not. And in that context, we find something that I think is very important beginning in verse 14. So we're in 1 Samuel 20, verse 14. Jonathan says to David, if I'm still alive, now we're thinking about when David becomes king. Because Jonathan knew that. David was going to be the next king. And when that day came... David, if I'm still alive when you are now king, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love for my house, my family, forever, when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David and said, okay, you promised. And David said, yeah, I promise. You know what's so significant about that is not just the friendship here, but do you know what the the kings of the earth would do? when they came to power, when a new king would come to power, he would get rid of all potential threats that he could identify. And the family of the previous king, the previous king and any of his family were top of the list. He'd just exterminate them. And that's what the kings of the earth would do. And so Jonathan's saying, and now David, don't forget, we're friends. And though the the way of the world is to to slay me, please don't do that. And, and, And furthermore... Spare my family. And David said, I'll do that. They made a covenant, a promise. But there's something else I want to emphasize out of verse uh, 14. It says, show me the steadfast love of the Lord, or your Bible may say the kindness of the Lord. There's a Hebrew word there, which is translated kindness or steadfast love, or sometimes it's translated mercy, faithfulness. It's the Hebrew word chesed. Can you do that? Chesed. Kind of a weird sounding word to our ears. I had a Hebrew professor that said it's the most beautiful word in the Hebrew language. The reason it's most beautiful is because of what it means. It's that love of God which is faithful and true and reliable and consistent. It's steadfast. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. We sing that. Uh, it's, it's very similar, I believe, to uh, the concept of the kindness or the grace of God in the New Testament. Let me read to you what it says in uh, Titus 3, verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy the washing of the regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. 
You see, it's that saving grace of God. And Jonathan is saying, David, I want you to treat me like God has treated you with that graciousness, that kindness. Are you with me? So David was asked by Jonathan to to show God-like kindness to him and his family. Well, you need to move on. Let's jump to chapter 31. 1 Samuel chapter 31. Um, Yeah, there we go. And uh, here we read something kind of grim, but it's an important part of our story. So chapter 31, now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Malchushua, the sons of Saul. And the battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him, and he was badly wounded by the archers. And then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest the uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he feared greatly. I mean, who wants to be... <laughs> you know, you killed the king. You know, that, that's, not, that's not, not good. Therefore Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead... He also fell upon his sword and died with him. Thus Saul died, and his three sons, and his armor-bearer, and all his men on the same day together. It's a grim day in Israel, isn't it? But we press on in our story. We go to 2 Samuel chapter 2. And here we find something interesting. We find uh, the story of two kings... You notice in chapter 2, verse 4, the men of Judah came and they anointed David king over the house of Judah. So that's kind of like the southern kingdom. It wasn't officially the way things were organized at this point of time, but would be later. Anyway, it's kind of like that. You look down at verse 8. Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul. Wait a minute. I thought Saul's sons were dead. Well, three were, but there was a fourth. And so the fourth, Ishbosheth, is the heir apparent. And so now he's made king over what we might call the northern kingdom. Okay? We go to chapter 4, verse 1. When Ishbosheth, Saul's son, heard that Abner had died at Hebron, his courage failed, and all Israel was dismayed. And now Saul's son had two men who were captains of raiding bands. So these were two of his military commanders. We pick the story up about them in verse 6, the last part of 6. Then Rechab and Ba'anah, his brother, escaped. And when they came into the king's house, into the house, uh, in this the king's house, as he, the king, lay on his bed in his bedroom, they struck him and put him to death and beheaded him. Whoa. So now, part of why that's important that I bring it to your attention is because now all four sons of Saul are dead. And we'll get back to that in a minute. But before we leave chapter 4, I want you to notice verse 4. So 2 Samuel 4, 4. Kind of a little parenthesis here, but really important. Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. Oh, yeah. Remember that? He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled, in her haste, he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. We don't know exactly what happened, how it happened. Well, she was scared, and so she 
pick up this five-year-old who's not just an infant, and she's running, and maybe she came to some steps, and then she tripped and fell. I don't know exactly what happened, but, but the kid ended up lame. Maybe he fell on his legs or his feet, and, and they broke, and they don't have a good orthopedic surgeon like Pastor Dave had, and, and so they couldn't fix him, and so he was lame. Or maybe he fell on his back, and he had a spinal cord injury. Or maybe he fell on his head, and it was a traumatic brain injury that, that rendered him lame. You know, I don't know what happened, but the, but the fact is that he was lame. And he lived from five years old the rest of his life as a lame man. You know the status of a lame man in Israel in those days? Shove him in the corner. He's a beggar. Good luck. You don't count. Even if you're the grandson of a former king, maybe especially so. In fact, just, it's interesting that the word translated lame kind of has two levels of meaning. It has the, the common meaning to be disabled or non-functioning in the lower extremities. But there's a second level which means to be disgraced or to be shoved aside, which was the lot of those people in that day. And I'd suggest to you it's not a lot different today. So that was the lot of Mephibosheth. I want to move on to chapter 5. And we see there in chapter 5, verse 1, that all the tribes of Israel came to David and basically said, we want you to be king. So now we have one king over a united kingdom. In chapter 6, we have uh, the glorious occasion of the ark being brought out of captivity and brought back to Jerusalem. In chapter 7, we have the wonderful text of the Davidic covenant. God's covenant made with David that there would be an enduring uh, kingdom, that there would be an enduring dynasty, that there would be somebody on that throne into, into the future that ultimately we know is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Chapter 8, we have uh, the great victories of David. He was a great warrior king. Of course, that's part of why he couldn't uh, build the temple. But... Uh, in verse, uh, last part of verse 14, the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. Isn't that a legacy? <laughs> but now we get to chapter 9. And this is really where I want to camp for a few more minutes. Chapter 9. And here we see, again, the kindness. The kindness of David, a godlike kindness. Let's read the text beginning in verse 1. And David said... Is there still someone of the house of Saul that I might kill him? I mean, remember what I told you about the culture? See, that would have been normal. Is there a threat out there that I can exterminate? But no, that's not what David said, is it? Is there still someone of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness? Remember that chesed? kindness for Jonathan's sake. Now there was a servant of, of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I'm your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? So isn't that close to We heard the, the kindness of the Lord before, and now it's the kindness of God. It's the same concept. To show God-like kindness, God-like mercy, Steadfast, loving kindness. Isn't there an object of that love that I can, can, I, that I can direct that love to? And Ziba said to the king, Well, there is still a son of Jonathan, but he's crippled in his feet. 
I put the but in, didn't I? I, I think that was the sense of it, though. Yeah, there's, there, there's, there, there, there's this, but he's a cripple. So how did David respond? The king said to him, where is he? Well, Ziba said to the king, he's in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. That's kind of normal, isn't it? You bow before the king. But especially when you know that the kings of the earth kill people like me, you're scared. You're really scared. And it says, David, so we're now in the middle of verse 6, David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered me, Behold, I'm your servant. I, I want to just stop there and ask you to think about what do you think was going on in David's mind? What, would you, what did you think you would read on David's face as he uh, saw Mephibosheth cripple in on his crutches or whatever it was? And, 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 and as David spoke to Mephibosheth, do you think he just, he was looking angry and he said, Mephibosheth, bow down. You think that was it? You know, I, I know this isn't in the text, but it's, it's my imagination that as Mephibosheth came into the, toward the courtroom of the king, that when he, David saw the face of Mephibosheth, he saw the face of Jonathan. There was something about his face, something about his nose, I don't know, something. And, and, and when David saw Mephibosheth, I think his heart just went out to that young man. And when David spoke to him, it was, oh, Mephibosheth. I'm so glad to see you. Don't you think that was true? And so that's the way David responded to him anyway. If you look at verse 7, David said to him, Oh, do not fear, for I will show you kindness. Remember? Yes, God-like kindness. I'll show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you will eat at my table always. And a little later in the chapter, that's what we read. And that is that, uh, that David made provision for all of the land of Saul, now uh, Mephibosheth. It would be tilled and the crops would be brought in and all that would be going on um, by Ziba and his family. But meanwhile, Mephibosheth's living in Jerusalem eating at the king's table. But there's something more you got to see. Verse 8. After David announced that, it says, He, Mephibosheth, paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for? You see what it says? For a dead dog such as I. See, that's the way Mephibosheth had been treated all his life. Well, since five years old and becoming lame. He'd been treated as just a worthless kick-around scavenger dog. Kicked to the side, dependent upon some other family who was kind enough to take him in. He was a nobody. He was a throwaway. And that's what he thought of himself. But when David met him, he said, no, you're a son at my table. Well, do you see my point? as I suggested when I began, that, uh, that really 
what we see is David's finest hour is that David was at his finest when he showed the kindness of God to a disabled man. And this message has little significance to us if we don't have something to take home with us. And that take, a, take home or takeaway that I would like you to think of is that we are at our finest when we're like David. When we show God-like kindness to, well, starts here maybe, each other. But that's easy. How about uh, disadvantaged people of various kinds? Maybe they're mentally challenged. Maybe they're physically challenged. Maybe they're poor. Maybe they're homeless. And I know there's a lot of difficult decisions to make, but, you know, what's our heart toward needy people? And I think there ought to be something of the kindness of God within us that's demonstrated to people in need. It's wonderful that we send missionaries to needy people in other lands. What about the disabled people around us? Just something to think about. But I'd suggest that we are at our finest as believers and as churches when we show the kindness of God to disabled people and others. And then I think I had one other thought. Maybe not. Um, uh, yeah, I think the last thought was... Uh, yeah, oh, I wanted you to make it more personal. So you, personally, I am at my finest then when, or I'm most godlike when, I think it's got to include our response to needy people. And then I'd like to just finish up with a thought back on shepherds. Shepherds' ministry, I believe, is uh, at our finest when we continue doing what we've been doing and showing the kindness of God to disabled people. And really, that's the justification for our whole 56 year uh, of existence. I'd like you to think in terms of, um, of um, Shepherd's College. And it's just one more response to that needy group of people. What can happen for a kid that just, or a, a guy or girl who just finished high school and is destined to just go home and play video games and watch TV because there's nothing else? Which was the lot of many, many, a high percentage of these people in, that we discovered in our research. So we established Shepherd's College to meet, to meet that need.